You're listening to the True Blue Podcast, sponsored by the Victoria City Police Union. Real stories told by real police officers working in Victoria and Esquimalt. What are the streets of Victoria and Esquimalt really like? The True Blue Podcast will give you some personal insights into what happens when wearing a police uniform. Welcome back, everyone, to the True Blue Podcast. I'm Matt Waterman. Uh, in the room today on the soundboard, Sidekick Steve. Welcome, Steve. Bonjour tout le monde. And uh, our guest today, Chantel Ziegler. Welcome, Chantel. Bonjour. And uh, so you just heard uh, the other two people in the room here speak the other official language, and and I'll be in the dark if they start to get too deep into anything in the on the French side. But welcome. Thank you. Okay, Chantal, uh, you said you, you're not sure if you're quite ready for the rapid fire, but let's go anyway. Uh, Mexico or Maui? Oh, Maui. Favorite movie? Um, Green Miles. Favorite singer? Celine Dion. Oh, I see, I knew that would happen. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite Victoria brewery? I don't drink beer. Okay, you got a winery or anything? That you... Gin. Gin, she's gin. a gin drinker. All right. Yeah, absolutely, the Empress. Okay. Name, oh, that's that's a very nice gin, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your favorite ho- hobby? My fa- motorcycle. Riding. Motorcycle, okay. Um, do you have a bucket list and something that's on the top of the bucket list? Absolutely. What's, what's something that's on your bucket list? Completing the Camino Trail. What, the, where the, is that? The Portuguese. Uh, Portugal. Oh, okay. Portugal to Spain. Right. Yeah, it's on my bucket list, and my ticket is bought already. Oh, okay, so you Ooh, might, might accomplish it. Yeah, serious. Right on. Name a retired influential police officer. Terry Albrecht. That's uh, very interesting. She's been named a couple of times on the podcast. I think it's uh, it's kind of a uh, highly touted name for sure. She's uh, been influential for a lot of, especially female members. Absolutely. Yeah. Terry was a hard worker. She was a very thorough investigator. Uh, she had a strong personality and lots of compassion. Uh, Terry always said, and she shared that with me, is that people on the street, you should treat fairly because you never know when you're going to need them for a major investigation. Yeah. And they're not per se going to remember what you said, but they're going to remember how you treated them. And and she shared that with me, and I really admire her for that. Well, thanks for sharing that. Welcome. Um, so, Chantal, before we get started, I, and just for the listeners, I wanted to make a couple comments about uh, uh, some some lost police officers. Um, unfortunately, early, earlier this year, or at the end of last year, uh, Nelson Police lost uh, Constable Nole and Tittimore. Uh, in an accident on the mountain. Uh, ironically, you know, Nelson lost another member to, due to a freak accident with getting attacked on off-duty, uh, was killed as well. So Nelson's had a, a rough ride. And recently, Surrey Police lost a member at, uh, at work. So that that's kind of a sad story. Um, shout out to those members that are be affected by that. But uh, it's a tough one. Okay, so anyway, let's get back to Chantel. So Chantel, you're approaching the end of your career. Uh, I think at the time of this recording, you said you have uh, only a few shifts left over. I have uh, eight shifts. Eight shifts. Um, so we got a little bit to talk about, obviously, because yeah. you, you've had a long career. So why don't you tell the listener where, where you started in policing? 
Sounds good. Um, I started in Ottawa. I was hired by the RCMP in March, March 19, 1990, after finishing my university at Ottawa U. They sent me to depot. I signed a piece of paper saying I would go anywhere in Canada. And here I am. I go to depot, spend six months there in Regina, Saskatchewan. And my first posting, they send me, after training me in French for six months, they decide I should be going to Evansburg, Alberta, <laughs> where no one speaks French. Right. Uh, you either speak English or you speak Ukrainian. Uh, we have four members on patrol, four on highway patrol, one corporal, one sergeant, and I am the only female, and I don't speak French. Uh, I don't speak English. I speak so all your Mountie training at depot was in French. Yes. Really? So everything I learned about policing, yeah. my power of arrest, the release document, all that is in French. Mm -hmm. We are at the time in 1990, we were 32 troops of 32. Yeah. in Regina, so full house. Yeah. In my troop, we were 28 guys, four female. Wow. And it's at the time where in New Brunswick, they got rid of the New Brunswick Highway Patrol, but they promised these people that they would have employment as long as they did the depot training. They would return to New Brunswick. New Brunswick at the time, and I'm not sure if it's still that, but it was a bilingual pro province. Yeah. So most of these people were French. Mm-hmm. So they decided to do a class in French. So I was troop 32 of 89-90, the last troop of that year of training, and everything we did was in French. Wow. Yet again, I did the federal exam, and they say, oh, this girl's bilingual. But my... I could, I could understand, but in terms of talking, I yeah. was limited to my name is Chantal, where is the toilet, yes. you know, <laughs> I am 21 years old, <laughs> because I, I turned 21 16 days, right. like I had, I just turned 21 when I was hired, so yeah. I was a baby, mm -hmm. so it was a struggle for the first six months to be, uh, Evansburg is a west central Alberta posting, uh, it's not even a village, it's a hamlet, mm -hmm. and uh, I spend five years there in a very, very awesome community. I learned so much about the sense of community. I got them to fall in love with me because I was 110 pounds. I didn't speak the language, so <laughs> I had to work hard for yeah, this community. Yeah. I was the sheriff in town, yeah. and I did not know what I was doing. So lots of struggle in terms of language, first of all. We didn't have Google. We didn't have no, a computer exactly. in the car. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of the radio, we had to do what it's called RTT, like there was no, if I press my radio, nobody could hear me except the lone member working in Marathorpe. Right. So and nobody a, knew Marathorpe back then, but I think you right, guys yeah, know yeah. Marathorpe now because it's tragedy. But mm -hmm. there was me and there was him. You were on a repeater. repeater had, we were on relay. a repeater. So that's why RTT for the repeater for the dispatcher in Edson, Alberta, to know that I exist and I was there. Right. And there was no street address either. It was all lens description. Or people would say, oh, just go to Jerry. He lives kitty corner from Gerald. You know, I'm like, what is kitty corner? Like, yeah. it, it was it was a struggle. But this is where, like, it's the time before the cell phone where I was able to do the undercover course. So I was sent on the undercover course while I was in Evansburg. So they sent me to Toronto. I became a UC operator very young in my career. But they also sent me to the musical ride course. Wow. Which there's no way in 2023 yeah. that you could do that because yeah. people would recognize your face, you know. Yeah. So, but back then, 
we didn't have cell phone and I could be in my red uniform or I could be buying dope somewhere in Northwest Territories because I would go everywhere in Canada because when you're part of a DRCMP team, they sent you wherever they need you. So the UCO training was in English? Yes. Oh, but, yeah. So but they would use the advantage of you could speak different languages. Absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. I did some UC in French. I did yeah. some in English. I did some sales job in French because when, so Evansburg was my first posting, and then my second one was Banff. So okay. I was in Evansburg from 1990 to July. Uh, sorry, the end of June 1995, July 1st, 95. The RCMP plunked me on a horse in Banff. And I did the July 1st parade, and I didn't even know the main street in Banff. And then uh, here I am waving at everybody on the horse. In the red surge. <laughs> in looking, the red surge, of course. And people important. are asking yeah. me some question. I, I had some people asking me, are you a real Mountie? I've seen you know? that picture. It's very impressive. <laughs> I have many pictures of myself. You look really, I was, I was, really good. <laughs> I was in the National Geographic, actually, yeah. uh, a couple of times. And oh. I mean, I did a lot of PR stuff while I was yeah. in Banff. And I was in Banff for close to five years before personal reason took me to Calgary. Okay. So I left the RCMP at 9.6 years of service and joined Calgary Police Service uh, in 1999. What uh, that you, you said personal reason. Uh, can you share that with us? Or oh, absolutely. About, so uh, it's, yeah. a, it's a former partner in my life, so I follow my heart. Okay. So yeah. here I am quit the RCMP. Uh, This person at the time had a great opportunity for employment in Calgary. He was not willing to go with me because I was just about to be promoted when I was, I, back then I had the, I wanted to be the first female RCMP commissioner. I had, you know, dreams. Well, the the job's open again. (laughs) Yeah, I heard. Actually, I was just reading about that the other day. (laughs) But anyway, so um, it was, he says, no, I'm not going to go because they were talking about sending me if I was being promoted as corporal to a place named Basha. And he says, no, I'm not doing this. And right. Calgary is my home. So I looked into Calgary. They were hiring experienced officer. And actually, we were a fairly large group of RCMP that switched over to Calgary at the time. And there was no $20,000 incentive to join Calgary. No. It was no. just you were joining a permanent position in terms of no more transfer. And that's what Calgary was very right. appealing for that. And the opportunity as well that Calgary Police Service had, were, they were just phenomenal. So you followed a friend. Um, I follow, uh, yeah, yeah, a friend. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, you got there. Now, did you have to go through the basic training? Or, no? We did a, a short version. Yeah, we did yeah. a, a six weeks and it was not to learn the criminal code or the provincial it was more to learn a little bit about calgary and the Mm -hmm. way their policies and stuff like that and it was actually the the funny story is in my class what we we were called Mm re-threads um one person was from my original depot training okay yeah yeah so cal verge that was his name Mm -hmm. uh came with me to calgary Okay. So it was really, really fun to have a troop mate from Depot now with me in Calgary. How many years in, in Calgary? So in Calgary, I did um, four years. Okay. Uh, and in Calgary, I had as well, I was just about, I had finished a commander course and I was about to be promoted on. In Calgary, you can be promoted either in the de- detective side or the patrol side depending where you want to go. And I've been seconded to so many different detective uh, units while I was there. I was in the domestic conflict. Yeah. I was in the ops planning and finally in the break and enter detail. So that's where I was going. I was going to be promoted as a detective. Right. So I was really sad to 
well, it was bittersweet. I met my husband at Stampede. <laughs> um, my former friend worked for an airline, okay. and I was still his spouse on paper. So I was able to come to Victoria every Thursday to Sunday on the spouse pass. Uh-huh. And I did that for a year till I was no longer on the paper. Right. <laughs> so I was lucky. I was very lucky uh, to be able to do this, to be able to come to Victoria yeah. every weekend to see my new boyfriend. Okay. Who is my husband now. And that, and that's what kind of triggered you to say, okay, I need to apply to Victoria or yeah. somewhere in Victoria. Well, Did you apply to other places in Victoria? No. So I was lucky enough that in Calgary, I work with a lady by the name of Sue McLeod. Mm-hmm. Sue McLeod was in 7th District with me. And she came to Greater Victoria and first started with Central Saanich. Yes. So I called Sue and I said, what do I do? There's so many little police departments. Yeah. She said, Chantal, the way I know you, you need to be busy. Please just apply for Victoria. That's where you yeah. will find your niche because the rest you're just going to be bored. Yeah. So I follow her advice. And I yeah, good advice. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a small world really. And, and you know, there was, there was probably a time there where we were, Victoria did hire a lot of uh, ex-Calgary people for sure uh, around your time, and even well, much before that, there was yeah. Quite well, a few. Um, yeah. Uh, Keith Linder, yeah, and yep. Well, his best friend, who was his best friend, Bowen. Bowen. They uh, all came from they Calgary. All Calgary, yeah. and yeah. Uh, so Asmussen's a Calgary guy. Uh, I yeah, think. I forgot about Brian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a few. So October thirty first, uh, two thousand and three, I was sworn in. Right. In Victoria. And here I am, starting all over again. But this time, I had no more dreams in terms of wanted to go up. I had decided I wanted to have a family yeah. and make that my priority and continue to work 110% at work, but not necessarily being right. promoted. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that life gets in the way sometimes, right, of what, mm-hmm. what you actually want to do and... Uh, well, I still think you, you kiss, like I said before, the job's open at the commissioner of the RCMP. You, you never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So uh, let, let's talk about some of your Victoria time. Obviously, you probably, did you do uh, UCO stuff in Victoria? No. no. So when I first arrived, I did express the fact that, hey, you might want to use me yeah. before I go on the street. Yeah. But nope. Yeah. Nobody ever asked me till 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 2007, where suddenly they asked me to do a UCO. We have a homicide in Victoria. And what they don't know is that I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to share that mm-hmm. because I'm very early in my pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be off-road yet. I had just got the position as the crow in the west okay like just got it and found out i was pregnant after i got the position and i'm like oh that's okay you know i'm not on the mm-hmm. street like uh, it's be it's gonna be fine but then this sergeant asked me and i say no and he's not happy with my answer mm-hmm. and he wants to know why i'm saying no and i don't want to tell him <laughs> but he's very insistent, yeah, and I don't yeah. know him. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he was in CSD, and finally I had to say. And then unfortunately after I told him, he told me, well, I know, so therefore you should tell HR. So I had to tell HR. Pushy. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, and it's okay. <laughs> it's because over now. It's over and, now. And <laughs> at the time, I was very lucky because at the time they didn't 
took the pregnant woman and put them at the front counter. Mm -hmm. I was very honored to be going to HR and do background investigation. And I traveled. I went to Calgary. I went to Vancouver. And I was able to do lots still in an investigative capacity. So I was quite happy to do that. Um, But... I was a bit sad that I left my tenure in Esquimalt when I just got it, but I knew that I could return after. So. Right. So uh, before we turned on the, the tape here, um, you did mention your Crow position in the West and said mm-hmm. that it was probably one of your best spots over the years. Talk talk about that. Sure. Well, Esquimalt is a very small area. When you think about it, a lot of people think that the other side of the bridge is Esquimalt, but it's not. And uh, it starts at Dominion, actually, so quite deep in there. But at the time, as the community, I was the only one, the only crow. I replaced Sean Plater. It was Greg Shaw for a little bit that I know of, and then Sean Plater for a short period of time. Then he became the union president. And then I became the crow, and then he was the sergeant in the West. And my area was... Gorge, uh, Gorge and Burnside, and I had Rock Bay, Vic West, and Esquimalt. So I was quite busy with yeah. all these areas. But then they came up with the idea of building a shelter in Rock Bay. Mm-hmm. And that was, it changed my job because they took away this area from me. They took, they took uh, Rock Bay and Gorge and Burnside. They built the shelter. Mm-hmm. And in the shelter, we had a police station. Okay, with a little two, officer, yeah. Yeah, with two community resource officers. So then I was just, I just had Vic West and Esquimalt. And even though my role was very proactive and I did a lot of thought, I didn't think I was busy enough. So I went to CSD, I think it was called FED at the time, and say, can I take your graffiti portfolio? Right. I was introduced to a person by the name of Peter Justo. He was a great volunteer in Esquimalt. And then I took that portfolio and I ran with it. And I was that close to becoming an expert. I uh, was going to court a lot. I was doing search warrant and lots of support from every different inspector I worked mm-hmm. with in the West Division. And I was busy. I was really busy. And the, the community was just, there was a huge sense of community. Everybody knew me, the French lady, Chantal. Uh, I was mm-hmm. getting hugs everywhere. And um, it was, I felt special. And they also felt that they were getting a special service. So it was very fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to have that sort of connection, I guess, to your community, especially when you're working right there. But. Yeah, and my son went to daycare in Esquimalt. Okay. It was easy yeah. for me to pick up after work. Not, I was not doing the drop-off, but I was doing the pickup. And then he went to the French school in Esquimalt as well. Right. So I had this extra connection to mm-hmm. Esquimalt with my son went from preschool to grade 8 in Esquimalt. Victor Berder. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So what, uh, sounds like you're kind of on your own there, but I... I always try to prompt members to talk about some of their partners and people they worked with. What 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 comes to your mind with uh, with that question? Well, I didn't have any partners when I was in the RCMP, yeah. and in I, I started to have recruits at the end of my time with the RCMP, and then I had recruits in Calgary. But my real first partner, like in terms of partnership, mm-hmm. was in Victoria. Really? Yeah, it was when I was on patrol on A Watch. Yeah, and Haley Swan. Yeah who uh, was so fun and she makes me laugh and she still does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's mm-hmm. my very good friend. And yeah, that, that was probably the best partner I ever had. Nice. Shout out to Haley. That's interesting because she told me I was her partner. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's very, well, that's good. Very uncomfortable right yeah. now. No, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> well, what, uh, 
Yeah, you know what? Having that connection with somebody that you, you enjoy working with is important. Uh, well, when when I arrived, I had to go qualify at the range. And she was coming back from mat leave and was qualifying. So we connected there and then we found out we were on the same watch. And then here we go. And we're still friends to this day. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Uh, all right. After CSD or the Crow, sorry. After the Crow, where'd you go then? You Well, every road leads back to patrol. Yeah, back to patrol for a little <laughs> so while. So I had to go to patrol a little while, but um, I then wanted to go to uh, major crime. And um, I apply. And before I heard back, I wanted to go to the fraud section. And before I heard back, um, John Craig mm-hmm. comes to me. And he says, can I talk to you? And he had a, a pile of paper in his hand. And it was a big document. And it was um, it was as a result of uh, the Missing Woman Commission of Inquiry. Yes. That was led by Honorable Wally Opal. Yep. And it, I think it was about 65 recommendations that he was do, that he had for every police department in the province of B.C., to establish some um, provincial standard for missing person investigation. So John said, we need to do this. And, mm-hmm. you know, you have a year, if you, you accept this mission, mm-hmm. <laughs> you have a year uh, from 2015 to 2016 to establish these standard. And then after that, you're going to have to roll with it for about four years. So he said, take the paper home, read it and let me know. And uh, I always, uh, this was always one of my biggest complaints is we get this order from the province to do this and basically they don't give you any new people or any new resources to do it. It's just handed to you and Chantel, deal with this, right? Yeah. That's what it turns into. It it was. And I took the paper, I read it and I'm like, wow, this is, this is challenging, but I want this. Yeah. Um, I had to work with the policies of our department, changing some of them and modifying things and following the, the standard. But yet again, we need to make it work for our department. It was very demanding. I said, members are still a little bit kind of, and I mean, we have changed the way we do things with missing person, like there's no tomorrow. Well, absolutely. I, I think it actually, that time in policing, had to be one of the biggest changes there was as far as the way we did business. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, yes, it's a lot of work, but at the end of the day, it makes us so accountable mm-hmm. for the families, for everyone. Um, we had to adjust. I mean, the standards have changed a little bit for us in Victoria. We have made it work for, for our department with what we have, but I, I've seen good change in terms of accountability. Yeah. So it was a lot of work. I was not popular. I was sending these follow-up and I had to do a lot of training and a lot of relationship. Um, I established a memorandum of understanding with the Friendship Centre. We didn't have uh, an Aboriginal liaison, so I, I play that role a little bit as well. So lots of work, but oh my God, like I was so proud of what I did there. And I became the only full-time missing person coordinator in the province. All the other departments were doing it at the corner of their desk. Either they were GIS or, or major crime. And then there was also the missing person section at the Green Timber. Mm-hmm. So they, these are the guys that were reviewing all the file. But in terms of a municipal detachment doing it full-time, Victoria, I was definitely... People were calling me and asking yeah. me questions and central sandwich off and say, hey, we don't do these very often. What would you suggest and stuff like that. So pretty rewarding for sure. Well, yeah, most 
like you say, most police departments either didn't have a full-time person or just left it up to the average patrol member to figure it out. And, you know, so even though, again, this comes back to the province says there will be this standard, but really, uh, I was always arguing that, look, this, this isn't really a standard. This is some departments will do this very well. And thanks to you, it, it happened, but in other cases it didn't, it wasn't done very well, right? And the, but no. the province would say, "Oh yeah, this was done perfectly all across the province." And I, I've always, don't get me wrong, it it was important to change. Yes. But uh, this, the way that things happened, and you know, and uh, like you say, other departments are phoning you up, and why is it our responsibility mm-hmm. to answer their questions, right? Yeah. 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 I think now the center is taking a more active role in helping those detachments yeah. that are struggling or department that are struggling. But I, th- I think that everybody has a good idea now. We've been rolling since t- September 2016. So mm-hmm. um, I think the espe- the expertise is, is there now and it's easier. How long did you spend in that ro- role? Five years. Yeah. Yeah, uh, a year and a half, kind of establishing what we needed to do. Uh, lots of meeting everywhere in the mm-hmm. CRD mm-hmm. and uh, asking questions, and and then running it with the inspector in charge of major crime, and you know, and the, the only problem I I I had was that uh, some people did not understand my role, and they gave me the load of um, the historical missing case oh, okay. which I had very right. little time to dedicate right. to which was unfortunate it was it should have never come to to my position yeah so when uh, when you're dealing with the other we'll, we'll say other agencies not not police agencies but civilian agencies yes. whether it's uh, um, you know Ministry of Children yes. or, or so on I, I was also frustrated so I remember being a supervisor thinking well what why are the police the only one actually dealing with these problems? And th- that that seemed like such a struggle too, trying to get the other. Yes, uh, it was a lot of education. Yeah, yeah, like and and for them to realize what's involved in a missing person file, yeah. and how we need their involvement as well, mm-hmm. especially with you know uh, repeat offenders or or yeah. uh, chronic missing. Yeah, you know we need the ministry to take. Some step right. into helping. They're, uh, uh, essentially, they're the parent. Mm, absolutely. Well, they, yeah, yeah. they are on paper, the guardian yeah, of some yeah. of these children. And yeah. I remember one day um, I come to work at 6.30 and somebody said, Chantal, we had a major event happen at 10 City and we found this girl. She's a missing and we interview her, but now we don't know what to do with her. So I said, okay, I'll take over. I called the ministry and said, oh, we have nobody to come and pick her up. Can you return right. her to 10 City? I'm like, uh, no, I am not. I'm absolutely not doing this. Mm-hmm. I am not the parent of this child. I'm not the guardian. This place is not safe. You need to have somebody come. Right. And they say, sorry, we have no one till like 8.30 or whatever. I'm like, no, that's not acceptable. I will not, like for me to return this child there, because she was a child, that it is that she's 16 or 15, she's a child. So I knew who was the guardian in terms of, the house she was living at like mm-hmm. um and i called this person i said you come and get her and yeah. then what they did is they drove her back to 10 city yeah. well that's on you 
but it will yeah, not be it, on me. Again, I think that shows the failure of the system. Absolutely. And, you know, and as police officers, we often deal with that where we're saying, no, this this is absolutely not the right place for this child to be. Yes. And that's why we're apprehending them and we're trying to keep them safe. And then the rest of the system just throws up their hands and says, oh, well, sorry, we don't have anybody to help, so we're going to walk away. And that stuff was more frustrating to me. And I remember being dispatched or as a supervisor uh, hey, there's a missing child. And first thing I do is get on the phone to the foster parents. Okay, yep. tell us what you know. Yep. I don't know. I just reported my kid missing. Yep. You know, they literally put no effort into it. And yeah. and that's the, the education component yeah. that yeah. I work really hard at. Yeah. You have a responsibility as a foster care. You have a responsibility yeah. as the ministry and guardian. So, yes, lots, yeah. lots of education that is, is continual. Like you have to do it over and over and over. Yeah, but the first thing that happens is, you know, if if the police, you know, didn't find this missing person, who are they who are they putting oh, on yeah. the block, right? It's it's a, it's the police. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. So pretty tough five years, but uh, you yep. you made a lot of inroads. You yep. you created well, and uh, retired inspector uh, Lidner was talking about that at your retirement function, just talking about how how the RCMP and and the whole missing persons world has has sort of leaned on your expertise and time in that position yep. to to get uh, to where it is today. So mm-hmm. congratulations. Thank you. All right. Uh, what's next? What else did you do after that? Well, you know, every road leads back, back to patrol. To patrol. <laughs> so here I am. I have, uh, I really, Sue Hamilton, you know, Sue Hamilton, yeah. a dear friend of mine was a DIAC officer for seven years, assertive community treatment. She, it was her baby. She's been at it for a long time. And she was, Chantal, with your background with a missing person, you you like vulnerable people, that would be the position for you. So I went for shadowing Sue, and I'm like, yeah, this is this is good. Yeah. I think I would like to finish my career back on the street. So what year was this? Uh, that was, I went to shadow her, I believe, in 2020. Okay. So, or, no, sorry, 2019. Yeah. And then, so I go shadow and I'm like, yeah, yeah, when the position comes available. So I did apply and uh, because the, um, what do you call them? You have to go back to patrol for a year. They they were applicable. Career path guidelines. Career path guidelines. Apply. So I was, I apply, but a person that was coming from patrol got the position. So. So Sue retired, so then this comes about again. I apply, and then this time I get the mm-hmm. position. So I go to CSD as one of the three assertive community treatment uh, police officer. So I work with Ross Smith, yeah. and I work with uh, Samson Air. got the position yeah. later on, and then mm-hmm. I got it before him a little bit. So that's where I go in uh, January of 2021. So those positions, uh, again, have kind of been a political uh, football for a little while, right? Where uh, some some funding doesn't show up, we have to we have to cut positions, or you know, so a bit of a nightmare. But you were the steadying hand there for a while, right? To, well, uh, so I get there, um, and then in February, so I get there in January. Yeah. In February, uh, um, Samson comes, yeah. and Samson almost didn't make it to this section because they say we will be losing funding for right. two officers out of the three. Mm-hmm. But he came anyway. And then uh, April 30th, we were both told, sorry, um, we are 
doing a restructure and there's no funding for your position. Mm -hmm. The province, nobody has funding for you. So Ross Smith continue in that position. And then we are given the choice between traffic, bike, beat, and patrol. Mm -hmm. So I said I wanted to be a sniper, but that was not an option. <laughs> they so, didn't have that available. No, they didn't no? have this yeah. option available. So <laughs> I uh, chose to uh, go on the bicycle. I thought they would be, I used to be on the bi the bicycle when I was in Calgary and I was used to be in bicycle in Bath. So I'm like, hey, in my 50s, why not go back? Well, we, we don't have a, a mounted unit anymore in Victoria. So, Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we have saddles, but we don't have the horses. So <laughs> so here I am, uh, 50 years old, uh, going back to bicycle with some young fellows. And yeah. uh, Terry Healy was one of them. Mm -hmm. And it was very fun. Um, but I'm glad it was temporary because Ross retired. And then I just went back into this position. Mm-hmm. So it was a short, it was summer, so it was nice. I was on the bicycle downtown and I was on the block. So I got to, uh, when Ross was going in holiday, I was filling for him. So I was not far from that position, but just not in it for a while. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I always struggled with, uh, the, they created these positions. Uh, there was a lot of uh, political push because they thought they were important to have the, so Maybe you can help us just just tell a little bit more about what the ACT position did and who you worked with. Okay. So uh, ACT stands for Assertive Community Treatment. It started a long time ago with just one team. They call VICOT. And what they do is they have X amount of clients. So right now we have five teams. Mm -hmm. Their names are VICOT, uh, PAC, Pandorac Team, DAC, Downtown ACT Team, uh, Seven Oak Act Team, and Act 5. I believe that they're going to change their name soon to be called Act 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. <laughs> okay. It's going to be way more simple because yeah. right now people don't, don't get the acronym. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean anything because each team are doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Each team have a psychiatrist, a psych nurse, regular nurse, caseworker, mental health worker, a drug addiction worker, uh, career workers, and they have up to 85 clients per team. And each client uh, must have a major mental health, like it's called an axis one, so either bipolar or uh, schizophrenic. Yeah. So you have to have a minimum of that because when we say assertive community treatment, the treatment part is the important part where it can be treated with a medication. Yeah. So we're talking usually an intramuscular uh, injection. Yeah. So all our clients are on a regime and they all have a uh, care plan that they must follow. They are Most of them are under the Mental Health Act, so they are in extended leave in the community and are followed by one of the five teams. So my role as a police officer is, of course, to offer safety to the staff when we do outreach, yeah. but it's way beyond that. I establish rapport with the clients. Mm -hmm. Some of them are in the justice system. So I ensure that they go to court when they have to go to court, probation. Um, and, I, and you can, just to clarify, you can share some of this information with your coworkers on the team to say, look, this person is dangerous. And yeah, so, so yeah, we have yeah. a memorandum of understanding yeah. with the ACT 
island health, not mm-hmm. with the whole island health, but right. for Act Team. So every time we take a new client, yeah. I provide to them what it is called a, a pre-admission violence package okay. that shows what kind of violence this person is involved in. Mm-hmm. So they are prepared when we do outreach, they know about it. And we can, at part of the care plan, it says police only or police must be there. I don't see 85 clients per team. I might see a dozen of them because they are the most violent and the most volatile client that yeah. we have. Okay. Yeah. So the new positions uh, that they've created, it's called uh, co-response team. Correct. CRT. So can you tell us about that? We we haven't had anybody on to talk about that yet. But well, uh, you, you'll you will have to because it, it's very much a really good position yeah. in my opinion. So. We have done a restructure recently, so I have moved. So my office is now where uh, traffic used to be because traffic is in Esquimalt. Mm -hmm. And so the two CRT positions are there with me. And then there's me. And then IMSERT comes once in a while to come and visit us. And we have the Crows. So the community resources are there. And we're called the outreach team because we are outreach. We're going out. Mm -hmm. So that position there are doing all the calls of people in crisis, like Mm -hmm. in mental health crisis. They're going to go. So is that that similar to IMSERT? IMSERT kind of is more of a clinical follow-up than the actual crisis, even though the name, I believe, of IMSERT is talking about crisis. Well, I was on the team previously, but it it maybe has evolved. Yes, it has evolved. So they're very complementary, but uh, they... That's why we have a meeting every week to talk about cases because the CRT guys might be dealing with one of my clients after I'm gone at 4.30. And when Insert might be there after they're gone at 8 o'clock. So we kind of talk about our clients are very similar and there's very a lot of common team with our clients. So these guys go and do that and they do Form 21, the Form 4, um, and they are the one choosing these calls from the queue. They are assigning themselves and as they go because they don't want to be dispatched things because they might be busy so long on X file. So the member on the CRT kind of looks at it. And yeah, say, you okay, will say, yeah, okay, stack yeah. me these two form 21 and then right now I'll go to this person in crisis. Right. So they do that. And because now I'm alone as um, the sole act person, these guys usually cover me. So they're not in uniform. So you have one member. Mm-hmm. either Tristan Williams or uh, Samson Hare, mm-hmm. and they are with a clinician. So each nurse, and yeah. they rotate, and they work 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day. Okay. And it's a, just so everyone's clear, it's a psych-trained nurse, not not a medical nurse per se. They're a clinical nurse, okay. uh, not yeah. necessarily with the designation of psych of nurse, RN, but they yeah. have experience okay. in mental health. Okay. And that's some those details probably would be best spoken by these people mm-hmm. to explain mm-hmm. to you exactly what's their training. I agree. Yeah. 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 But that's <laughs> but, fine. I, but very I just helpful. to get a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Very helpful um, to have them on board for sure. And I think they have made a huge difference and they're very busy because yeah. as much as some people say that there's no place in policing in mental health for police, I disagree. We should be involved in mental health because it's not because you have a mental health that you're not a dangerous person sometimes. You know, sometimes there's a situation where you're so deep in a psychosis that you don't know what you're doing. And we have the tools to deal with that. It doesn't matter what you say to de-escalate a situation. Sometimes we need some tools. Absolutely. Well said. 
So uh, let me let me ask you about women in policing. Have you have you uh, gone to any of those conferences? Never. You haven't. Never. Uh, no interest, I guess. No. Eh? Oh. No. I uh, I see myself as a police officer first. Really. And and yep. Yeah, I've never. I disagree with the term PW. It's a term that I don't use. Right. I'm a police person. Well, a lot of people don't yeah. like that one. But I do yeah. not. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a police person. Um, I belong in policing just like you do. And um, yeah, it's just uh, when I started, when you think about it, the first female members started in 1974 with the RCMP. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at 1990, it was just 16 years later. Mm-hmm. I still felt like a novelty. And plus, in my right. detachment, I was the only one. Um, did I face discrimination, sexes? Yes, right. for sure. But mm-hmm. it's how you deal with the situation that come. You know, I think I came out stronger, and I'm resilient. And um, I've never seen a difference between you and I in policing. Like I always, we both deserve to be there. And I, and I think that's one of the things I wanted to sort of target on a little bit is, you know, how how does policing kind of mold people, right? And uh, the way you've described it is you've you've just adapted to whatever needs to be done. Yeah, policing mold me to to be a, a strong person to to not be afraid to take my place, but also to be very grateful for what I have. And when I say what I have is often the little things in life. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of my shift, when I go home, I like the fact that I have a warm bed, I have a meal, I have a supportive family. Because what we see, what we do, what we smell, it's not normal sometimes, you know. So I think it's to appreciate the good things that we have in life Mm -hmm. and not sweat the small stuff. So policing has done that to me, has made me a very grateful person. Nice. That's a good way to describe it. Certainly uh, a lot of people may not see that that way, uh, but it's good to... When I drive home, I leave policing at home, and then I'm looking forward to see my husband and my son. So... Speaking of that, you're going to retire soon, so you'll probably see more of your family. Is is that right, or do you have plans for? Uh, I don't think I will. Re- <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I don't. I don't believe in retirement per se. Okay. Yeah. Um, I will. I already have applied for some jobs. Okay. To be honest with you, my dream job would definitely be in the mediation field. So while I was a detective, um, I decided to take on a certificate in mediation. Yeah. So uh, I did that, and that's hopefully the field I will work uh, sometime in May. Okay. Or after. Excellent. I decide I will take March, April, and May off. Yeah. And then hopefully get back at it because my husband's not retiring. Right. I have a teenager son. So yeah, you got to still uh, keep, keep yourself busy. Yes. So one, of, I don't want to forget this part because uh, I think one of one of the other areas in policing that you you spent some time in was the. Uh, crisis negotiation oh, yes. world. So, <laughs> why don't uh, why don't you tell everybody? Well, a what that is and and how you got involved. Well, um, we, t- we didn't really talk about that, but th- I had one mentor uh, in Calgary. His name was Staff Sergeant Gary McDougall. Okay, he was a negotiator, and he saw something in me, and he said, "Hey, have you ever thought about becoming a negotiator?" I'm like, "No, I don't even know what that is." And then uh, at the time, I was in the break and enter detail, and he says, "Well, what about you uh, going to back to university and taking a conflict resolution certificate?" I'm like, okay. So he adjusted my schedule, and here I am taking this. And he says, come to training. So I was training to be a negotiator. So basically being a negotiator is is negotiate crisis. 
so um, here in Victoria, we're part of the command triangle. So you have the commander, you have um, ERT or GVERT, yeah. and then us, right. the negotiators. So we go to where we are needed. We are a tool. Mm -hmm. uh, we are people that are well-trained in active listening, compassion, empathy, and we try to resolve uh, mm -hmm. whatever situation of crisis that is yeah. going on in a peaceful manner. Was that fulfilling work? It was extremely fulfilling. Yeah. There was some good challenging, times. Challenging, I'm sure. Challenging, but every time, you know, like I was on the team for 10 years. Yeah. So 10 years on call. Um Every time, like, if I was on call, you can get sure that if you were my partner and on call at the same time, we were getting call. Oh, you, so you, I, I'm the that, that's that's the ship person. magnets. Yeah, uh, that, that uh, is stuff, me. Yeah. That, that is me. Um, so I usually, if I was in in my time to be on call, I would be called three times. Okay. Yeah. So you know, you were being called if you were on call with me. Yeah. But yes, it was extremely fulfilling. I love being a crisis negotiator. It's been good. Uh, but as you know, I did have a bad experience. Uh, but I also understand that sometimes when people decide that they're going to take their life, it's it's out of my control, no matter what I say, no matter what I do. So yeah, that's a that's got to be a tough thing to to sort of come to reality too, you know. But uh, I'm sure uh, the life of a negotiator has probably always got those challenges built into it. Yeah, know? absolutely. When yeah. you are trained, when you're receiving the training, you have to know that. Uh, part of your training, they're going to do a scenario where you're not going to be successful yeah. and you're going to have to deal with it. But we're fortunate that we get some help and mm -hmm. we can go to psychologists mm -hmm. and realize that, you know, it's part of the job. That is, uh, that's a tough part of the job, but, you yes. know, with, without it, we'd, we'd probably be uh, in a worse place. So, yeah, yes. well done. So, um, before, before we go, uh, where's your next uh, motorbike trip? Oh, well, the next motorbike trip is the Oregon coast. Oh, that'll be yeah, nice. Yeah, so that's going to be in August. Yeah. Um, we have a retired member, Shannon Perkins, that is in charge of our little group that uh -huh. do that. And I'm probably going to do some trips with my husband as well because right. he, he does okay. motorbike. Okay, so he's a rider too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But my big challenge coming up is my trip to Portugal. Well, that sounds like the the big event for sure. Yes. Um, and I've... I've not really research this one, but I know the, some of those big sort of uh, hiking events through the mountains, etc., are well, well, uh, up on people's bucket lists, right? So, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you've seen the movie called The Way um, with Martin, Martin Sheen. So that if you have the opportunity, I think it's on Apple TV. It's a movie about the Compostela, which okay. is one of the trail I'm doing. So yeah. there's several Compostela that you can do. You can leave from France and do the Pyrenees up to Santiago, Spain. Yeah. Or you can leave from Spain to Spain or to Portugal to Spain. And I'm doing the Portuguese one. So I'm leaving from Porto, Portugal, going to Santiago, Spain to finish the Compostela. It's 260 right. kilometer. Wow. And, and what's what's your time? My time is 14 days. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm doing the coastal route, and I have chosen... There's no, like, uh, bed and breakfasts along the way, right? Yes, there is. <laughs> okay. There is, yeah. but... And, yeah. and yeah. you can stay in what they call albergues, okay. which are, like, the petites auberges, if you want. But um, I'm kind of old, and I decided I want my own room, my own washroom. Yeah. So, and I picked a partner to come with me. I want this to be a spiritual journey, so I pick 
uh, Sue Hamilton. Oh, there you go. She's very spiritual, <laughs> and I want this trip to be about a reflection of my career yeah. and where I'm going from now. So. Well, maybe we should have you and Sue back to uh, talk about this about trip. About the trip, yeah. 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 I, th- I think it's it's a great way to finish my career and looking forward to it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, well, thank you for coming to talk to us, Chantel. Uh, congratulations on your imminent, uh, well, retirement from policing, but it sounds like you're going to be very busy. I uh, really appreciate you being here to talk to us. And here's your coin. It's uh, the True Blue Podcast coin. Oh, thank you. Take it home, and uh, that, that gets to be with you. Merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. Okay, and uh, we'll see everyone at the next uh, True Blue Podcast. Au revoir. Thank you for listening to the True Blue Podcast. Join us next time for more stories about policing in Victoria and Esquimalt. The True Blue Podcast is sponsored by the Victoria City Police Union. Thanks to our media partners, H2 Accelerator, who have helped design and deliver our new improved marketing strategies. Thank you to our master of music, Gord McKee. Special thanks to the creators of the True Blue podcast, host Matt Waterman, sound and editing, Todd Mason, concept design, Daryl Baswick, and sidekick Steve for the production and sound studio. Thank you for listening to the True Blue podcast, 